Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Who Am I This Time? With me, David Morrissey. Each episode, I'm talking to performers from film, television and theater about one significant role in their career. It might not always be the role they're most famous for, but in each one, I'll be trying to find out about the preparation, the excitement, and the sense of nostalgia that goes with any key role in an actor's lifetime. The list of conflicted characters on John Sims' CV is extensive. On TV, he's played Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment, and of course, famously, Sam Tyler in Life on Mars, as well as appearing in many British films, including Human Traffic, Wonderland, and 24-Hour Party People. But today, I'm talking to him about a project we appeared in together, State of Play, a political thriller for the BBC that came out in 2002. John and I played old friends in the series, me, a politician with something to hide, and John, an investigative reporter sensing a big story. We caught up during lockdown and talked about the series for the first time since we'd finished shooting. I wa- did you watch it? I did. <laughs> I, was... I got to episode four. I've just finished episode four just now. So I've got two left. Um, I was never going to make it. but um... I find it very difficult watching myself, but I thought it'd be quite easy because it's such a long time ago. Um, and it wouldn't be a problem, but it was <laughs> it was difficult. But after two episodes, it was fine, and uh, and then the quality of the thing just took over. It's really good, isn't it? I mean, it stands up really well. Um, great, Amazing. great performances. Great um, director. Great writer. Obviously, I watched it with my son, who's now twenty five, and uh, you know he was bang into it. I was really nervous about sitting down and watching it with him. And he just really got it. He was like just absolutely into the right. I mean, there's things in it like where we were smoking inside and he laughed at certain mobile phones that we use and stuff like that. But the story, he just got well into it and thought it was brilliant, which was great. The story is watertight, isn't it? I mean, I remember hanging hanging out with um, Paul Abbott around about that time and, and asking him where he'd come up with that. Um, because he'd never done anything like that before. Um, and he just said he just completely made it up. He did no research, didn't do anything, he just made it up. Um, top of his head, it was, and thought, this is never going to work. And it did. It was an incredible piece of storytelling. So let's just go back a little bit before the, the job started. So I, I, am I right in thinking it was about 10 years after you um, came out of drama school? No, man, it was more than that. Was um, it? It, what was it, 2003? Yeah. Oh, two no, you're three. right, actually. God, yeah, it is, yeah, God. 
Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. So I left drum school in, in 92. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, it was, it was 10 years later. And you've done a lot of great work. I mean, you're doing both in film and television. I mean, you know, 24-hour party people, crime and punishment, human traffic, you know, the lakes, all of that. So, and but you've done Clocking Off, and I've done Clocking Off as well, which was a big Paul Abbott show uh, set in a factory and different people working in the factory. And it was like each week would be a different story. Is that where you got to know Paul? Um, <clears throat> well... To be honest, I think my first contact with Paul Abbott, well, I know my first contact with Paul Abbott was uh, many years before then, because I did an episode of Cracker. Um, and the episode that I was in with Liam Cunningham, that episode was written by Paul Abbott. So I w it was very lucky. It was a double whammy for me. So obviously Jimmy McGovern saw it, you know, because it was his show, and Paul Abbott saw it. So with, with those two powerful entities... <laughs> Off I went and, and then uh, did The Lakes about three years later with Jimmy and then Clocking Off in 2000, I think, with... Um, I think I was in the first episode of Clocking Off with uh, Phil yeah. and, you know, it's so weird. It's, watching that cast in State of Play with Phil Glenister and Mark Warren. You know, oh, my God. Uh, really... James McAvoy and Hel uh, Kelly MacDonald, everybody. It was just amazing. Yeah, Benny Wong. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah. Tom Burke. I mean, it's an incredible cast. But so, yeah, I, I was on Paul's radar, so I, I was lucky because I'd done Cracker and the Lakes before then. So uh, I think that's why I, I was in Clocking Off. And when did you first hear about State of Play? When did it start coming on your radar? Well, it's a weird thing. Um, um, that, that's, it's a strange story, actually, because I, I wasn't around and I originally couldn't do it because I was filming. I'm sure I've told you this, but... Um, I was filming um, a thing called Master and Commander, uh, a big war film with uh, Russell Crowe. Um, and I'd gone out uh, to Mexico, to Baja, California, to film this thing. Um, and I don't know if you remember, my son Ryan, who's now nearly 19, was like a baby. He was just a baby at the time. Um, and, I, and I would have had to have been there for six months and I wasn't allowed to come back. And so I started freaking out when I got there and the part was really small and he sort of lied about the size of the part. And anyway, to cut a long story short, I ended up back um, thinking my career is over because I've just pissed off Peter Weir and pulled out of a film and it's, you know, what a nightmare, everything's gone wrong and, you know, it was all going so well. Um, and when I got back to sweeten the pill... Um, Paul had sent State of Play, had sent the script and said, I know you're not around, it's just on the off chance. And it was there waiting for me. It was so odd because Kate went, oh, this came for you. My wife, Kate, she said, this came for you. And, uh, and I read it and I, did, and I remember saying to him, you know, I read the whole thing. I read every episode and I hadn't even taken my coat off um, and was so excited by it. Rang him and I was, it was a godsend, really. It was um, manna from heaven. And how, how soon after that read did you start sort of getting into it? Um, did I start getting into it? Yeah, I mean, did, when did you start filming it? Have you, you read it and then how long did you have before, how much prep work did you have time? I can't remember. I, I can't remember exactly how much, but I know we did have some prep work because I know you went to the Houses of Parliament, didn't you? We did a bit of method on this day, didn't we? Because I, I hung out at the, at the Guardian and the Times with um, Kelly McDonald. Um, yeah, we did quite a bit of prep, so it must have been plenty of time. 
Because the scenes in the office, in the newspaper office, obviously I wasn't in that uh, uh, part of the story. And watching it again, just the way that that office works and the way that you all work together is seamless, really. And I'll, we'll talk about David Yates, the director, later on. But when you are preparing for a role like this, which is a profession, a very specific profession that you're not, uh, you know, you, you've never had any experience of yourself. How, where do you go? Where do you go to start trying to find that, not just the character, but their workplace and stuff like that? Um, well, I, I, I guess it's just soaking in, soaking in the atmosphere and talking to the actual people, you know. So I, when I was at The Guardian um, and, and The Times, I, I just talked, I was there for a long time, I, I talked to a lot of um, uh, reporters and, and just picked their brains. Um, it's, I guess it's just about soaking up what the job is and thinking right if could I do this job and if I did this job what would I be like him or would I be like him or um and so it was just soaking up the atmosphere in the in the in the newsroom and I remember really clearly the the excitement of a deadline coming things started to speed up throughout the day and the news was constantly on and um and the stories had come in and there'd be a new one coming in every few minutes, you know, and, and it was people running around and, it, and, and the, it, the tension just ratchet, ratchets up throughout the day. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, God, if David can capture this and, and Paul has in the script and he did, David, but if he can capture this, then we're on something great because it's a real, it's a real buzz. And I don't remember ever seeing that on screen before. I mean, um, no. there was that, there was one... Um, what was the one before State of Play that, that got all the plaudits? There was a TV show. Uh, it was Edge of Darkness. Edge of Darkness, that's it. That was it. Yeah, but that was the closest, um, you know, uh, uh, anything had come like that, political thriller-wise anyway. But, but as far as a newsroom is concerned, I don't think I'd ever seen anything portrayed truthfully on screen before. And in terms of going to The Guardian and The Times, just as an actor, is that something that you yourself would organise or would you be saying to the production, can you get me this? Or would they do that anyway? I mean, how would an actor go about, I mean, obviously we know, but how do you go about pre preparing your research? Are you, are you asking the production to do it for you or are you doing it off your own bat? Well, I guess it's a little bit of both. I think the production would be well open to... Uh... To, to well, if they can and they've got the resources, you know, they'll be open to letting you do whatever you needed to do to prepare for the part. And especially a director like David was well up for it. He wanted us to go and do all these things. And to be honest, I wanted to. So I can't remember whether I said, look, I want to hang out at The Guardian or they said you should. But I think I probably did say I want to do something. I need to meet a reporter or I want to go and do this or that. Um and they were they were like absolutely of course you can and I actually I think I I uh, texted Kelly and said I'm going to do this do you want do you want in and she was like absolutely so I think there was a few of us ended up going um, yeah I think I think you just need to it's 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 a personal thing isn't it it's it's whether you feel you need to or you want to or you know if you know enough about it and you might not need to you could think you could wing it but I just wanted to get a, a sense of what it was like because it was such a big job. It was such a big part. And I just thought I need to really be ready for this. And weirdly, when, when I was a kid, before I was an actor, I, one of the things that I w wanted to be, you know, apart from a musician, 
uh, when I was thinking I'm going to have to get a proper job here because I'm obviously not going to make this because everybody wants to be an actor. I, th- I was going to be a journalist. I was going to work in the local paper. And that, right up until 16, I was thinking that's what I'm going to do. And I hung out with them on a work experience thing. So I'd already been in a small pe- newspaper office. So it was quite um, interesting to me anyway, yeah. Because I think sometimes it's that thing of going into professions and the things that they take for granted, the things they do without even thinking about it, are the things that you as the actor are trying to learn very, very quickly. I mean, so it's just the way they work with computers, the way they're passing notes, the, the hierarchical nature of a story. Uh, you're leading it and then she's leading it or you're sort of when your nose is put out of joint for something. They're, they're the things that you you need to be with the people who do it on a daily basis because they sort of have forgotten that about the job themselves if they've been doing it for a long time. And you have to you have to take that on board, don't you? Yeah, I it's that it's that naturalism, isn't it? The second nature that they have of um, not even thinking about it. It's like an everyday occurrence to them. And they were wonderful, especially the Guardian. We, we picked their brains. I would I had loads of questions, you know. And the, the very exciting thing, I can't remember whether it was on the Guardian or the Times, but I remember we were in there for a morning meeting um, and while all the stories were coming in. And Bill must have been in on this, actually. Um, well, all the stories were coming out. So it was Alan Rusbrigger, who was, used to be the, the editor, didn't he? And he was really accommodating. It was um, f- absolutely fascinating. We were there for a few days. It was really, really helpful. And on State of Play, you know, it was a big production. It had a lot of sort of, you know, uh, prestige around it. The BBC were really, you know, sort of supportive of it. But is there a sometimes when you're doing research and say you go into a newspaper office or you go and visit someone and then you look at the script or you walk onto the set and you think this is wrong. Uh, Either the set is wrong or there's something in the script that's wrong. How do you approach that as an actor to go to a director or the writer or whatever it is or the set designer and say, this guy would never be in this house or this guy would never drive this car? Or How do you negotiate yourself around the research you've done when it clashes with the actual work? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think... I, I think I've been lucky so far, because, I mean, first of all, when you walked on this set, there was nothing wrong. Um, it was just mind-bogglingly perfect, you know? And so whoever worked on this show was all over it. And so there was not... Any, I don't remember any occasion where I would think he, this wouldn't happen or that wouldn't be there or that he wouldn't say this because the script was so good and the set was so good and the director was so good. So I think if, if, that had, if it ever occurs to me, I, I, I don't know about you, but you need to trust a director, don't you? You need to be able to, between me and you, I need to talk to you about anything, to be able to talk to you about anything. And I think this should be like this. And if they're receptive and they're good directors and they trust you, then they'll, they'll do something about it, I guess. But I would never hesitate. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'm presuming you'd be the same. Like if, if it's not real, it doesn't. If something doesn't feel right, you would obviously say something because you know we're perfectionists, aren't we? We want to get it right. Yeah, I think it's sort of an interesting one for me about the uh, being on a set as an actor, particularly as a young actor. And both of us were quite experienced when we did State of Play. But as a young actor, the permission to say something the permission to step up and say, actually, in my opinion, 
that can be because we're dictated to by time, you know, on a film set that you, it's sometimes difficult. But it's it's about trusting one's instincts, isn't it? Where you like there as a young actor, were you able to sort of step up and say stuff right off the bat? I'm trying to think back, <clears throat> but you know, with 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 early jobs. I, I mean, I think I mean you were you started before me. I remember watching you on telly when I was. I was in short trousers. Thank you. Thank you. So a few years before. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. No, it I remember true. that was one of the first things you said to me when I, when I, when I met you on State of Place. And I've been watching you since I, you were a, I was a kid. And I was like, thanks very much. <laughs> It was one summer. One I, summer was one. And we, I, we know that one. One summer, the thing that David did for the, for for the you listeners that don't know what we're talking about here was one of the things that actually made me want to be an actor. Um, it was uh, it, it was inspiring, and it was just so I had to tell him. And I thought it'd be funny because <laughs> it was so. And I, and I was a I was a kid myself when I made it. So that's ex- oh, you were a kid. You were a school kid, weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, what we we digressed then, didn't we? What did you? What was the question? So about it's about that thing of as a young actor having the permission or the uh, to to just get let your opinion be said and vocal because a film set's a really intimidating place for for actors even you know it doesn't have to be a, uh, a young actor for most actors it's just about how do you have that voice to give your opinion I think that would be difficult as a young actor coming on to a, a set for the first time. So I'm thinking back now when I did like a sitcom when I first started, I did Rumpole of the Bailey, The Bill, Heartbeat, you know, things like that um, until I got Cracker. And even on Cracker, I was, you know, I don't think... I think at the time you think, well, well my opinion doesn't mean anything. I've just got to do my thing and keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and and I don't think I had the bravery to stand up and say, you know, Robbie, I think you're doing that wrong, or, you know, this is not right, or whoever was directing sort of, you know, I don't think I, I'm that kind of person. I think I just watched, and like, I'm sure like yourself, and just watch and learn. And I think the only time you can, you can chip in is um, when, as you say, you've got some experience. And by, when was it, 2003, we had quite a bit, and we'd done quite a few things, and... You know, we were the two main guys, really. And, and um, so I felt on that job, not even, I wouldn't even cross my mind to to uh, edit anything. I would just say it. And But I, I, th- I know what you mean. I think as a young actor, like, for instance, Tom Burke and James McAvoy, who were, I think this might have been their first job. Um, it would have been strange to hear one of them shouting and kicking off and, you know, and I don't know, I don't know. But as a young actor, I think it is probably quite difficult. I just think you have to watch and learn and and be nice. That's the main thing. It's about the director as well, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, you can talk to a guy, right? You said before, the relationship, and David Yates is such a responsive person. Oh, well, he's a special director, yeah. Yeah, he really is. You always felt held by him, didn't you? Completely, and complete trust. And like you, you know, that's not all. That's not always the case. Sometimes you're intimidated by a director, or you, maybe you don't get on, or or if you're in a thing and the director changes quite often, you don't get chance to know one, or you know, or get to know them, or or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it does direct. It, it, if the director's open to it, and the writer, 
you know, because a lot of jobs I've been, I used, I've changed the dialogue and I, I wouldn't have dreamt of changing Paul Abbott's dialogue, you know. No, not not at all. And, uh, and also, I think it was rare to have a director to do the, all the episodes. You know, I mean, now on television, you'll have a director who might do two episodes and then you're you're making a new relationship with someone else. So that was quite rare. It's rare now. And it was rare then, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. But also, there's a sense in the scenes in the office, and I know none of it was sort of improvised, but there is a sense, there's a rhythm that you're all getting with David uh, on the set. Are you rehearsing that? I mean, you've got all the extras, everybody's doing their stuff behind you. Do you as the team come on first and rehearse it? And then they slowly dress the set behind you. How do you approach the day itself? I think that was the case, yeah. I think I think we would do the scene and then the team of extras um, that they had would, would come in and then he would talk to the extras and he was very meticulous in that, in that uh, office. You know, all the extras, all the background, you know, supporting artists, I should say, really, um, they knew exactly what they were doing and, and, and had a job to do and this is what you should be doing and this is what you'll do. You know, they'd give them little backstories to, you know, help them out a little bit. So it, it, it does look authentic. I, I thought that when I watched it back then. It, it does seem like everyone knows what they're doing. But when you get in there in the morning on the set and let's say it's just you, Kelly and Ben or... Or James, or whatever. Are you? Are you? Do you sit down and discuss it? Do you block it? I mean, what? What? How does that start of that day uh, begin for you? Um, do you know what? I'm I'm trying to wrap my brain now because everybody's different, aren't they? You know, you, you know yourself. Sometimes you get a rehearsal period, which is rare for TV, for film, for, for screen. Really, um, you you get a, a an extended period of rehearsal. But I'm I'm. I don't know. I, I I don't know what you, about you, but when when it comes to filming, I'm I quite like not to over rehearse it because it's in your face, the camera. And it's supposed to be real, and I think if it's over rehearsed, sometimes you can tell. Do you know what I mean? And and sometimes I, I, even with the lines, you know, things you know, I don't need them absolutely dead set into my brain. I just need a sense of them. So even if you're grasping for a word, that's what people do in real life. You know, it's um, just to keep it in the moment and keep it real. So I probably said, I don't want loads of rehearsal or or maybe I don't want to rehearse this bit. Can we just shoot it? And he would always go, yeah, absolutely. Let's shoot the rehearsal. That's always my motto. I always think shoot the rehearsal because sometimes you get magic on the first one, you know. Yeah. I love that too. And I, I mean, you know, it's there's something about... Um... I've often said to people, they say, when do you learn your lines? And I said, I, I don't really learn my lines. I sort of, I know what the scene's about and I work on the scene and I work on the structure and I work on my relationships, but I don't do the dum de dum de dum de dum bit. I said, because on the day, I'll sort of feel I'll have time to do that during the day, during the rehearsal or whatever, because I want the lines to be slightly, you know, away from my fingertips. You know, I want to be, but not all actors work like that. And and how do you discipline yourself with other actors? I mean, that's an interesting eggshell relationship sometimes about that we have to tread with other actors and, and how they work. Some of them are very much different methods, even with the method or whatever. How do you negotiate around that? 
Um, well, I, you just respect their method, I, I would say, as long as they're not, you know, causing any problems and, you know, you know, being divas or, I, I don't know, holding everything up or, you know, and, and, and that has happened, it does happen. But I, I guess you've just got to be um, aware of everybody's, everybody's got a different technique, haven't they? And, you know, I'm the same as you. I, I, I'll look at everything apart from the lines, you know, unless there's a big chunk when yes, you yes. have got to learn it, because you'll be reaching and you'll be constantly cutting in line, line. Um, but as a rule, I prefer, I, I'm exactly the same as you, and, and I think um, it should be organic as much as possible. And, um, you know, people don't know what they're going to say next in real life. Uh, tell me about, you know, it's uh, a big show and you've done big shows in the past and stuff, but with this show particularly, because it's quite... You know, it's 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 a difficult plot. It's a difficult story. It's to know where you are. Talk to me about continuity and how do you personally keep yourself in check about the story you want to to unravel continuity wise. I suppose that's just your job as an actor, isn't it, to look at the the scenes and the structure because you know we film everything out of sequence and that's just the way it is. And and that's the re the reason for that is as you just said the locations and. Um, so we were in that newspaper office filming every single scene in that office for must have been a month, I think. I, I can't remember. Quite a while, a few weeks at least. Um, and that's all we did. And then we did our stuff. We did all the stuff outside. And then we did all the stuff in my house. And then, you know, so it is all out of sequence. But that is the nature of filming. And that is the actor's task, I think, to, to absolutely be on top of where you've just been, what you're th supposed to be thinking in this scene, where you've just come from, um, you can't wing that. I think you need to be well prepared and you know exactly what's just happened and who that is and who's just walked around the corner because, as you know, as you know, you, you'll film... You, you film your, you get filmed walking through a door and then four months later you do you walk through the door and carry on the scene. And you have to be yeah. in the same mindset as, as four months ago and it's... And so everybody's involved in that, the makeup, the continuity. And, and I'm always bang on the continuity. It really bothers me if I see something and watch something and, it's, and there's some glaring uh, error, you know. So I think they've got a really important job. And, um, you know, and whoever was doing it on State of Play was brilliant at it, I think. Yeah, Jane, it was Jane Houston. And um, we'll be back with more chat after this. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time? With me, David Morrissey. Now, back to this week's episode. What about... Do you take notes? Do you make notes in your script? Do you sort of have it or do you just trust yourself instinctively to know that? Um, I think a little bit of both. I mean, I might jot something down or if it was, if, if, I mean, I always get a good relationship with, with um, the script editor. So I'm always like, you know, and Jane was the best. I think I worked with her a few times um, and she was all over it and she, you know, and I would just check, I'll just check, just check, just checking, just checking. And if I'd forgotten something, she would tell me. But I, I don't, I think it's just, I, I think you just sort of remember sometimes. Everything for me, filming wise, is before Life on Mars and after Life on Mars. Because Life on Mars changed everything for me, the way I film. Because I couldn't prepare quickly enough. I couldn't do what I usually did, which I would have done on State of Play, for instance. Um, because... I was in every scene and there was no way I could learn the lines in time. And I was flailing. And so it was, uh, you know, I, there was no nerves when the camera went on because I knew we could cut and do it again. And it, it was just, that changed everything for me. But I think, you know, pre-life on Mars, I was pretty um, um, all over it as far as continuity and making notes and making sure it was right, you know. I think that's true. And I think that uh, that thing of building relationships, the, the continuity person is such a great person to make your friend. Because I just, you know, what hand did I pick? Even in the scene itself, you know, because you'll have your master shot, which is where everybody's in the frame. And then you'll come into your close-ups and the continuity person will be the person who says to me, you know, you picked up the cup with this hand and you picked up this on that line. And I need to know the rules in order to break the rules. I, you know, that's the thing for me as well. Do you use um, do you use backstory at all in your characters? Do you, do you ever write down a backstory or look at the history of your character before you, you go to work? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have to be real fleshed out, you know, and you can, and that's a great, I always find that a really enjoyable part of any job because you can make up your own life, <laughs> you know, um, and it gives you rain to do that, doesn't it? What, what, you know, the information, as Harold Pinter says, all you need to know is on that page. And I think that's true of his stuff. But I think in, um, if you're filming and, and you know, you, you need to sort that out yourself because you do need a history in your head. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, you're pretending to be somebody else, aren't you? And you can't just walk on and pretend without knowing anything about these people. So, yeah, of course, yeah, I, I absolutely do. And I, I think it's really important. And I've, I've found, and this isn't true of all actors, but I find in a way that the more work I do, backstory, stuff like that, before I get to the set, it actually makes me more spontaneous. It makes me more willing to sort of jump in and change because I'm not, my backstory isn't a Bible. It isn't something I'm holding on to. You know, I can change. And my thing is, I, I need to know if my character's work uh, does something that's out of character, I need to know his character in order to be out of it in a way. But do you share, do you share your backstory with anybody or are you very guarded with it? Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, we had our own, didn't we? We talked about it. I mean, I, I, I think, if I remember rightly, 
it might have been when we were, I can't remember, it was early on anyway. We had a big conversation about how long we'd known each other, when we'd met, you know. We, we were really forensic about it. And, and so was David as well. I think he just left us to it. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you, you, some actors don't play, play. you know, if you go, oh, so what, what do you think about this scene? Where have we been? And they're, they're like, you know, I don't care. And that's up to them. That's their, that's their prerogative. Um, but I think... Most actors will will join in with you and say, "Look, I think, or you know, I think they did this or they did that." Or especially if you're playing friends or lovers or whatever, you've got to have one. Yeah, I think that's really important. And it's it's that's always about casting. You and I sort of we knew each other anyway. We were able to get together and go through our backstory and our relationship because our relate the relationship that those two characters had was essential for the piece. It was about. You know, your character goes a long way on our history. You trust in such a way because of our history, you know. Uh, and some, But sometimes, and, you know, you'll have like either a friendship like ours or a marriage or something, and you might be meeting that person like with 24 hours to go before, before you're either in bed with them or you're having a fight with them or you're having a major row with them. I mean, how... How does that work? I mean, I know how we know we know how it works, but how can you explain that about how we can get so intimate so quickly? No, it's a strange job, man. It's a strange job. You know, you shake the hand. Hi, I'm John. Nice to meet you. And then you're suddenly doing some really intimate scene. Um, yes, that's an odd thing about the job, but that's your job, isn't it? That's what we're, we're paid to pretend. And, you know, everybody involved on a film set or you know, is is involved in this pretense and everybody has to do their job. Everybody has to sort of, you know, be on the same page. And I guess it's just sort of, you know, finding some equilibrium. I mean, nowadays, you know, they have, uh, I think, this intimacy coach, which I think is brilliant. You know, it's that I've often thought, like, you know, if I'm going to have a fight with someone, then you have a stunt arranger, you know. And I think because, it's as I said before, it's quite a lonely place, uh, a film set. And as actors, we we sort of want to please as actors, don't we? We want to sort of, you know, be liked and all that. But there's a manipulation inside that as well. I mean, in, in State of Play, there's quite you and Polly do quite intimate scenes, but there's a sense that there's... David Yates creates a, a really safe space for, for, for not just that, but any emotional scenes, both of us did scenes where we have to break down and be very sort of, uh, you know, on the floor emotionally. What, how does a director create that space for you to be brave in? I guess it's his personality, you know, how good he is. I mean, David Yates is a one-off, isn't he? I mean, he's arguably the nicest man any of us has ever met, ever. He's just a wonderfully lovely person and warm and caring and bright and everything you know so i guess it's it depends on on your trust and you know um with, with the director it's, um we were in a in a in a in a bubble of trust i think and you know those scenes that we did where we broke down i remember doing those scenes on ali pali um he was he just he just gave off you know warmth and trust and 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 if you remember he just let us go sometimes he'd just say carry on and you know it yeah, so we were lucky with him. And you're not always lucky with directors. And just let's just talk a little bit about that, though, that, that sense of when you have a great relationship with somebody like David Yates, but when it's not so great, how 
how do you negotiate around that? Where's the where's the idea of compromise? I mean, I know we learn this through our experience, but you know, it's just about how do you take on something that you're not happy with? Yeah, that's difficult. That would be a difficult situation. Um, I'm I'm really lucky so far, and I'm touching wood here, um, in that I don't remember ever being in an environment on the film set um, that has been toxic. Um, I'm not sure how I would how, how I would handle that, um, and and I mean I've had directors that I haven't particularly gotten on with very well, but you just do your job, don't you? And 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 a lot of it is down to the casting. You know, if people cast like the state of play, the casting was extraordinary. You know, I think if um, if you've got that amount of quality um, ready to go, then then you trust them to to be able to do it. And I guess it's professionalism that comes in. If you don't get on with somebody, it's that's that's unfortunate, but you've we've got to get it made, you know, so you've just got to find a compromise. But also what I wanted to ask you is that, you know, in state of play, you're really front and centre. Most of the jobs that you're in, the lakes, you mentioned life on Mars, you're front and centre of it. How do you how do you look after yourself on those long jobs? How, how do you gauge your energy? How do you look, you know, physically look after yourself, but also emotionally look after yourself? Are you able to leave it on the set when you get home? Do you have a routine? I think it's, you know, if you look at us, uh, not that we're athletes, but if you look at that analogy of of the athlete sort of preparing for that one moment, ours is when the camera is rolling and everything is geared up to that. How how do you protect yourself for that moment in your life? Um, I personally, I I sort of have an instinct that kicks in, and I I I'm aware of exactly how much work I'm going to need to do before I walk on set. And sometimes it's not as much as others. Sometimes because you like you say, it's all on the camera. If you get that that take. It doesn't matter if you've been whatever what what what, what you've been doing uh, offset or you know in the hotel or you've stayed up but you, you don't look after yourself. But if you can like you know sort of someone like John Hurt just turn it on and it's perfect, then that's that's great. But I, I guess you I think you need you you need to know deep down within yourself what you're gonna need to to make this truthful and. Um, you know, as 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 you know, because you're the same. You were in the same boat. You know, you're always front and center usually. Um, and the hard thing for me is is not the being on set. It's not the because that now is sort of second nature. But I guess that does come with experience. It's um it's the rest of it, the being away, the traveling, the constant. You know, you, you don't see your kids. You know, it, that's the hard thing. Sometimes you're filming abroad. You know, as you know, that that's that that's the tough bit. So I think keeping sane. And, you know, looking after yourself is, is your responsibility. And, and um, you know, and, and you're being paid. It is a job. So I think, I don't know, it's, it's Con- down to the individual. Con- Connor, Sean Connery said that thing of, look, you know, you pay me for the waiting round and the acting comes for free. I mean, that waiting around, do you have any, uh, do you have any sort of routines inside there? Do you, do you have a playlist? Do you, you know, do, have you got readings? What do you, how do you protect yourself in the day when you're hanging around for, you know, for a good 55% of the time? Yeah. I, I find that really tough. I have to, I have to say really, really, really tough. Um, I did the, the pilot that we're going to do a, a game of Thrones sequel, uh, prequel, sorry. 
which they pulled eventually. But we did the pilot, we shot the pilot, and most of that day, it reminded me of like being really like 22 years old and waiting around in trailers until you're one scene, you know? Um, and I, I, find, I found it so difficult because I, I was, I, you start to go a little bit nuts, don't you? So you have to have something to do. And you know what? I remember now, just talking about this, I remember us filming, I think, in that cafe where we had that coffee. And you were, and I asked you this question, saying, what are you doing? And, you know, what, are you reading anything? And you went, no, I'm really busy because you were writing. You were working, weren't you, in between takes? That's the thing to do. To, to to have something if you've done all the prep for the job then to do something else is invaluable because my god it's boring <laughs> you got you start to go nuts there's only so much times there's so many times you can sit down and try and force yourself to fall asleep <laughs> i know i know it is it's a, it's something that you have to acquire you have to go through it really is that thing of how you pace yourself through the day because so many young you know I see a lot of young actors who turn up at seven o'clock because they've been picked up at seven o'clock and then I won't see them then until they have their two lines at you know five to seven in the afternoon and they've gone crazy you know they're absolutely good and then everyone's looking at them going like okay we've only got five minutes off you go that's tough turn it on immediately you know turn it on and but that's the job, isn't it, Dave? That's the job. You've, you've got to be... They knock on your trailer. You've been in the trailer for 16 hours. <laughs> and, and they go, right, we're ready to go. We, we, the light's going. Sorry we're late, but action. Yeah, <laughs> and you've got to do it, it you know. You've just got to do it. I've always thought that that was the most... That's the hardest thing, is that, that the light's going and we've got to go. Yeah, that's really hard, yeah. I always felt sorry for people that, you know, you know we're going to have to take that one take because the light's gone. <laughs> And do you, do you still get nervous? Not on camera. No. I, mean, I, I think, you know, we're similar in, in that we, I think we, I can speak for both of us, that we sort of prefer being on stage, you know? I, I do, as an actor, especially, just for, just, just different and it's, it's preferable. Um, but but I, and I definitely get nervous on stage, you know. But that, that is what I miss, and that's why I went back to stage, actually, after Life on Mars, because it numbed me. Um, the red light would go on, and I would feel nothing. But when I was doing State of Play, for instance, or uh, Sex, Traffic, or Crime Punishment, anything before then, yeah, I did. I'd get a little friss on, and that you need that. And when that went, and when that was... I, I felt nothing at all, I was worried, and I thought, oh... Um, this is not enjoyable and, and why is that? And so I, I traced it back to not having that buzz at all and so I went back on stage and that sorted it out. That's a really great thing to say though, isn't it? That nerves are good. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think sometimes people feel that they re- they can reach this place where uh, they don't have any nerves anymore and actually I, even I'm in film and telly, my, I still get nervous but it's a different type of nervousness. Yeah. Uh, but I still... I worry when I don't get anything because I think, well, that why is that? I, I does it mean I don't care anymore, or what, what's at stake? I like I need something to be at stake. Yes, uh, yeah, because because I don't feel the other place is creative. I might be wrong in this, but I I feel if I can't uh, if I can't really fall and fail and stuff like that, then it's not creative. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, uh, and you know you've got a safety net when you're filming. You can do it again. You know they're gonna let, they're gonna make you do it again until they get exactly what they want on that. You know, so it's. 
I always I, that safety net takes away any kind of frisson of danger that I ever have, you know. But I mean, it, it's absolutely the opposite on stage. Sometimes it's so overwhelming that you think, you know, every opening night we ever do, you think, why am I doing this to myself? I'm never going to do this again, ever, ever. Remember this feeling. And then you do, and you throw yourself on, and and it's great. You, you Suddenly you're on there and you think, oh, yeah, this is, this is my job. This is what I do, and so you kick in. It's just it's the anticipation. And then it gets easier and then. But I love that, and, you know, and, and that's why we're, we're doing it. I think originally that's what I loved about it. You said at the beginning when we talked about State of Play that you don't like watching yourself. Um, as a younger actor, did you watch yourself? Did you did you force yourself to watch yourself? Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah, because yeah, you've got to know what you're coming across like, haven't you? As a young actor, you've got to see and I would I would I would look um even not as a young actor, sometimes now I still do it. I'll look at um, you know, if they play it back, I'll have a go and have a look and you know, but that's the only time I'll watch it. I find it difficult to watch. Uh, on telly when it's on or a screening or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it's your duty when you're first starting out as an actor on camera to absolutely forensically watch yourself. Um, and I, I did that. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would pause it and run it back and think that's, you shouldn't do that. That, that That's too big or that's how you learn, isn't it? Yeah. And also that sense of, uh, you you believe that you have this thought that you want to convey, uh, or an emotion that you want to convey, and to watch yourself when you're a young actor, it's really important because you sometimes you go, I'm not conveying that emotion, either whether it's I'm too big or too small or whatever, but the emotion I wanted to convey at that time isn't what I'm doing. And so it's just, you need to watch yourself, I think, a lot. I mean, you need to watch yourself a lot because at first all you're watching is, you know, how big your nose is or your hair or whatever, or in my case, the way I run. But, you know, you have to get through the vanity bit. <laughs> you have to get through through the vanity bit to see the to the actual where the character is emerging and whether that's the, that's, that's the good job or not. And also I think it... I think it's that thing of watching it at screenings is so hard because there's nothing you can do about it. No, well, watching it any time after when they've when they've they've locked the picture and it's over, you're done. There's nothing you can do about any of it. You know, you, as as actors are, are, we're in the hands of the editors and whether the director's going to mess it up and you know, it's going to come out nothing like I thought when I read the script, and that happens quite a lot, doesn't it? Um, I guess you just there, there has to be an alchemy involved for everybody to be absolutely on it. And it's very rare that that happens, and State of Play was absolutely one of those jobs because it's, um, it came at a point when we weren't uh, green. We, we, uh, you know, we, we'd been doing it for a while, and so we were on it, and we were able to put all this into practice. And, and, and it just so happens that everybody else involved was on it as well. And, and when that happens, you can have, it can be magic, you know. Yeah. I can't remember the question. I was just babbling. But then. also, they know that thing of just you know watching yourself and that making sure that you're you're telling the right emotion that you want to. Also, I think that element of trust with people like David Yates and you know um, Paul Abbott. If if you weren't doing that, they would let you know. And that that brings me to the next point of, of like sometimes when a director steps into a scene and gives you a note. 
I often see some actors feeling that that note is a criticism and they sort of cl- clam up a little bit and they, they, there's, a, there's a bit of confrontation in that. I mean, I mean, I have that as well because, you know, I want to get it right the first time or I want to... But listening to notes from directors, it's important. I mean, not that they're always brilliant, but, you know, you've got to listen to notes, haven't you? Yeah, you know, abs- absolutely do. And, and it depends on the quality of the note. Sometimes, you know, you'll get a director leaning in and saying, sorry, can we just cut? And then come and whisper something in your ear, and you go, "I, I know, I know that. You know, I was, I was doing it, <laughs> and it's I'm out, I can't do it now. You've ruined it. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't work, does it? And, and you just have to have a, a good relationship. And if I trust the director, I won't even watch it back. Sometimes I'll just think, "Are you happy?" And if they say, "Yeah," I'll say, "Great, well, let's move on." If they say, "Do you want to do, do another one?" I'll say, "If you're happy, then no, let's let's move on." But I have to trust them to, for, the, for for that to happen. Um, I got a note one recently. I was filming in Hong Kong, and, and all I was, all I had to do was knock on the door, and um, we would film the other side of it six months later in a studio in in London. And I just have to knock on the door. She opens the door, and I walk in, and they close the door, and that was it. And he was behind me. The camera was behind me, so it was just me knocking. And I knocked, and he cut. <laughs> what? What? And he went. Um, and he came up to me, and he sort of like put his fingers like this. Uh, Paul, he's a great director, and. Uh, I said, you're kidding me, you're not going to give me a note. I've, all I was doing was knocking on the door. Surely I can't have got that wrong, Paul. And he said, um, what you've got to remember is that you've, you've already been here. So the knock wouldn't be like, that. they know you're... And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is great. Which is great. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And so sometimes they, they really help. And, you know, and it, it, when a director and an actor is working in tandem like that, that that's, that's beautiful. And I do feel that sometimes those notes, you have to get rid of your ego because you you'll get a note and you'll think, don't tell me how to knock on the door. Don't tell me. How. And then you'll go, wow, that is great. And, and then you'll berate yourself for not thinking of that in the first place. Absolutely. But actually what, what it is, is it, it's, you know, it's working as a team. It is a team game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to wrap up, State of Play was, you know, obviously it was a huge success. It was very well received, great reviews and stuff like that. Can I just talk to you a little bit about criticism and critics and stuff like that and how how you negotiate that? Do you read cr- critics now or when you were younger? Oh, that is, that's, it's a difficult one, that, isn't it? I remember I used to look at them a lot when I was young because I wanted to, you know, you want to know what they think. And um, and there was a time when it, it, they were just all great. You know, I was, I was thinking, oh, I'm completely immune here. This is great. They love me. <laughs> and then you'll get one bad one. And you literally sat in a darkened room for six months thinking, I, I'm not an actor anymore, you know, and it, it will hurt you so badly. So I guess you just have to ne- negotiate that um, and try and develop a thick skin. But, you know, as our very nature as artists, as actors, we have to have a thin skin. We, we've got to be sensitive and open and, you know, to, to all emotions. And, and so you have to find that balance. I think it's difficult because you have to be able to take criticism as, as, as the, the same as you take the praise and sometimes the praise, like, you know, that's dangerous, but especially if you're doing a play and you read, oh, he's really yes. good in this bit. And then you get to that bit, you think, oh, I'm really good in this. <laughs> and you're thinking about it. So I think it's, if you can, don't. But it's really difficult sometimes. And sometimes I'll find myself, you know, oh, I'll just have a look, you know, and, and then you get your fingers burnt, you know. But the thing is, it shouldn't matter, should it? 
And I think now less and less, it's, ma- it's mattering less, less and less now. Colin Tierney said to me once, um, he, when we were doing Hamlet, he said, you know, forget about the reviews or whatever. Um, what was it? Critics should be to actors what ornithologists are to birds. <laughs> That's brilliant. I also love that, that Vanessa Redgrave story where she was in a play and this one of the actresses in the play with her would ask for a cup of tea and at that moment it always got a laugh. And then one day it just stopped getting a laugh. It just stopped getting a laugh. And then this actress went up to Vanessa Redgrave and said, I don't know what's happened. When I ask for a cup of tea, it doesn't get a laugh anymore. And she says, that's because you stopped asking for a cup of tea and you're now asking for a laugh. Just, just to come back to State of Play, I mean, did you ever watch the film? No, we we agreed, didn't we, that never to watch it. <coughs> have you yeah. watched it? Have you have you No, never have. I've always I always said the thing about the film was it was like going to the wedding of a girlfriend you were still in love with and when it came to the bit where they said anyone who got any objections, I didn't trust myself from standing up and going, It should have been me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I th- I think we made a pact. When, when it happened that we weren't going to go and see it. And um, yeah, so no, I've what, never seen it. Coming full circle is what's interesting is you would, you walked out of a film with Russell Crowe and ended up doing State of Play and then he ended up playing your character in the film. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Very true. That is very... I've never actually put that together. You're absolutely right, yeah. That is very strange, isn't it? And do people still talk to you about the role? Do you still... Does it, did it follow us, follow you around for a bit? Yeah, I, I, it has actually. I think just as pure quality, you know, when they they had those lists of the best TV shows of the past hundred years or whatever, I always think, oh, surely it's going to be in there, and it always is. It's always in the top five, and I'm very proud of it. You know, as, as I know you are, it's 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 one of the. I'm just watching it again now. I haven't seen it for so, so many years. It was you you realize why sometimes something's just got that X factor, hasn't it? And it, everything just comes together beautifully and. And I would put State of Play as absolutely one of the greatest things I've ever been involved in, yeah. Great. Well, that's a great place to end it. Listen, thanks for talking. Let's go for a um, social distancing walk sometime. Oh, I'd love that, man. Yeah, just give us a bell. Who Am I This Time? is a Just Voices and Doolally production. Produced by Simon Lennigan. Music by Greg Hatwell. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. And presented by me. David Morrissey. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.